Hello, everyone. Welcome to the first ever episode of the Casual Couch Critics podcast, Triple C. Yes, um, we're here. My name's Jarrett. This is my co-host Zach. Hey, Zach. Hey, how's and, it going? Uh, we like uh, we like movies, and yeah. Zach and I we talk a lot about movies, and we thought, why not start a podcast about it? Now, obviously. We're not reinventing the wheel here. There are millions of other movie podcasts. Out what? There, there are? <laughs> and uh, a lot of them are just by people like us who think they're, you know, professional critics, but really they're watching it just like us on their couch. So we thought we would poke a little fun at that while not really having any credibility. I went to school for environmental science. I have no movie uh, uh you know film history courses or um journalism credits to my name zach i don't know about you i i technically did go to school for media and communications but by okay, no means would i consider myself a an industry critic other than a so what, you're, so what i hear from that is your word is law so we will follow that <laughs> into the, into this adventure um, I will be merely just a guide while Zach leads us. But no, um, we just thought we'd have some fun um, trying to think of what we could do a bit different in the movie podcast space. And I think just poking fun about that. What we At the end of the day, we all just really like movies. And uh, it's okay to have opinions about them too. And all Absolutely. Of them Absolutely. So and- kind of how the structure will work. Um, going forward is uh, we're, we'll start off the podcast uh, talking about the latest uh, movie news, uh, whatever we think is relevant or is important to discuss. And then we'll have kind of a feature presentation main topic uh, that will correlate to uh, upcoming movie release. We'll probably look at some box office numbers, too. Um, I'm sure during award season, we'll have some discussions about that and some other segments too, as we get, uh, going here. But for this first episode, we're just going to keep things pretty, pretty bare bones. And, uh, hopefully, uh, you guys enjoy that. Um, we are at the casual couch critics on YouTube and wherever you can find podcasts. So feel free to find us there, like subscribe, rate, do what you have to do. Um, Anything to add, Zach, before we dive into the first the first couch? I'll, I'll just say this uh, to anyone who's watching and, and viewing. Thank you for doing in. Uh, Jared and I are just best friends. We've been friends for many, many years. And this podcast is essentially, we used to just call each other like every week and talk about movies. We're pretty much taking those conversations and making that our a video chat and making it our podcast. So yes. really we'd be we'd pretty much be doing it this anyway. We just have maybe more of a do I want to say professionalism to it? No, I don't want to say that. Anyway, but it's gonna be a lot of fun. So I'm excited to do this with you, man. Thanks for reaching out and uh you know the casual couch critics has begun. Yeah. I mean pull up your couch and uh hope you enjoy the ride with us. I thought um would kind of call our movie news discussion, you know, coming soon. You know, coming. when there used to be DVDs, that would always <laughs> be the first thing that would come up before um, 
before the actual main menu for selection. And that kind of is a good tie into our first topic here, which is uh, The Bike Riders. So The Bike Riders is a movie that was actually supposed to be released in the next couple weeks here, early December, uh, starring Austin Butler, Jada Comer, Tom Hardy significantly, um, about a motorcycle club in the 1950s and just the different characters. Very Sons of Anarchy uh, vibes when I watching it. And uh, 20th Century Fox, or, or Disney who owns 20th Century Fox, uh, recently decided to just pull it completely. It having to do with, you know, um, the writers and actors strike and profitability being the main thing. And, you know, when we talk about coming soon and in media you know there's been a couple movies like this in the past couple months and the, the bike riders actually luckily um because of public backlash and outcry uh, i believe they're selling um this movie right now to other distributors so it'll probably be coming out some sort of platform or through another studio in the next year year or two but when it was supposed to come out next week, it's still a bit of a shame. And the other movies wait, wait, that wait, wait, hold up. So I I didn't realize they just totally yanked it all together. Yeah, yeah. So like, if like I wanted, if I had, if I had bought like pre-sale tickets for this, they, they like they'll just get refunded. I guess it's not no. coming out. So because I I saw trailers for this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, the trailers were like in the theaters too in front of yeah. movies. And yeah, just uh it just was not uh on their list, I guess, which kind of goes to our media erasure problem that we're having at large with you know a couple of weeks ago before this podcast started, uh I think the, it was titled Coyote versus Acme, um right. starring John Cena, kind of a Looney Tunes uh uh you know live action cartoon hybrid sort of space jam style uh jessica rabbit all that stuff um and they have decided uh that distributing company to not promote it like they're not even going to release it and and i know about a year ago the first major instance where this happened was the batgirl movie and right the interesting thing about all three of these films, the bike riders, Acme versus Coyote and Batgirl is that they're all completely finished. Like it's not like a Zack Snyder director's cut situation where, you know, there was some uh, production, you know, issues and it wasn't completely finished. So they'd have to go back. No, all these movies are done. And so what that means is for the people not doesn't really impact the big stars per se, but the cameramen, the set designers, all that stuff, they're not credited. They don't actually get to show that that's their work. And I think um, that's a, it's a pretty big issue. And it, it's kind of weird to me that it is an issue, especially that we're living in the age of streaming that we are, where I don't think it should be too hard for things like that. What are your thoughts, Zach, on, on the kind of the media erasure and just, wiping movies completely off release slates yeah there's a couple of things that come to mind the first thing that comes to mind is and again we're, we're just two guys in a podcast here 
but when each of these movies comes out, it's essentially the equivalent to like if you and I wanted to open a you know a restaurant or a store of some kind, right? Like they're, they're its own individual franchise. And so maybe when you know before these movies are set to release, and the, you know these big studios look at them and they're like, you know what? If we, you know if we release this, we're gonna lose money on it with distribution and advertising. And then also, the if, if they really don't believe in it, do they really want a negative PR cycle, which is something they have to think about when they're marketing their yeah. films, right? And so I think those are kind of some factors involved with it. it, it, it for this Bike Riders one, it, it is interesting um, that it was that close to coming out and to, to be yanked like that. You wonder if there's that, that was more of a strategic thing by Disney and, and 20th Century Fox to think, hey, you know what? We we kind of we maybe they actually do believe in this movie, but they don't they don't necessarily want to spend that money in this season because they, they you know they've had a bunch of flops this year, right? It's not been a good totally. year for Disney at the box office. That being said, it, it is a shame for the people that worked on on movies like this, as you said. And, and, you know, it'd be, especially if it's like, if it was the movie that like was your big break and you were like, man, I've been working as a third assistant cameraman for five years and I got to be the head camera operator on this one. This was my big break. And then for the movie to get pulled like that. Yeah, that's a, that's definitely unfortunate. Yeah, I think, um, I think it's interesting too because the bike riders, unlike the Looney Tunes and the and Batgirl, it had its trailer and its release date was very upcoming. And I think that release date was purposeful. And you know, Austin Butler, the lead, he was Oscar nominee last year for Elvis. Yeah. And right, yeah. I, and this is award season movie time. I be, and I believe this, whenever it comes out, will have some Oscar push. Um, whether it's Oscar bait or not, I, I mean, it remains to be seen if it's a actually a good movie, but the trailer seemed entertaining enough. So it's a bit surprising when a company drops something like this, where, you know, there would have been some award buzz uh, going into the new year for sure. And I think it also links to another um, media erasure problem. You know, I saw like Best Buy is officially stopping sales of physical media and um and that's the other thing to think about when it comes to these these movies is again in the age of streaming service and stuff i don't know why you couldn't just put that movie up but these movies wouldn't even be able to be released on like a blu-ray or dvd to be sold to the public like essentially it's just stored and kept away and i know there's been some uh, shows uh, like the Willow show, it didn't do well in Disney. And so they actually pulled it. And some of the younger actors, to your point, who that was their big break was like, well, I can't obtain this. I can't show it to anyone. Yeah. And so, you know, the loss of physical media, while people have been buying less of it, I think availability is still important. So I'm not really sure the solution to that problem. I know that's not why we're here or created this podcast for our first topic. It's pretty philosophical and uh, <laughs> a great way higher than ours. But but I think it's it's becoming an issue that I hope 
doesn't continue and that studios find a way to compromise rather than removing it altogether. Well, and, and like you almost hope, and this is again, totally a fabricated idea of thin air. Like you almost wish there was a streaming service that was like the trash streaming service. that's like free or whatever. And like, if you, as a, if you have a completed movie that you don't believe in as a studio, it goes to this streaming service yeah. and like anyone can watch it and critique it, make fun of it or whatever. But yeah, you, you definitely, you don't like seeing something that a studio spent hundred, like, you know, millions of dollars, potentially hundreds of millions of dollars on. Yeah. And then just, they read it off as a tax write off. Right. Um, and, and that's ultimately like, ultimately that's probably what their decision was where they'd make more money as a tax write off than they were to, if they were to actually release that film. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, anyway, um, looking forward I to hope see this the movie bike comes riders. out though, because it actually looks pretty good. Yeah. Whenever the bike riders comes out, I will be seeing it. So, um, yeah. and I would have seen the John Cena Looney Tunes movie and bad Girl too. Yeah. But, Absolutely. I yeah. Like I wasn't even like super I I don't think I had even heard of the John Cena Looney Tunes until they canceled it. And I was like, "Oh, no, that's I want I want to saw that." <laughs> yeah, so I thought too at first um to your point that oh, they must have not even started filming this. He must have signed on and then, you know, scheduling conflict or it was fully done from what yeah, I've yeah. read. So it's it's crazy um but like, yeah and, and i would watch all like, three of those. like just and i know we're gonna move on to our next subject here but just think of it if you're an actor or a crew member or a director you know probably between six and nine months of your life you gave up yeah. you put in a lot of hours into you know making this and then just to see it kind of shut down like that, that that's gotta be discouraging yeah and like and like we talked about before, it's not a situation like uh, the Zack Snyder cut, right? Where it's just sitting in a room somewhere that they have access to. It's like it's out of these people's control, unfortunately. Actually, who worked on the film, it's in the studio executive's hands. So anyway, uh, good first topic for our podcast, I think. Absolutely. Um, all right. Now, the second topic, um, you know... We're not going to shy away from main franchises. We know plenty of movie podcasts are devoted to the main franchises. And we would be silly to lie to you and say we do not like big franchise movies. Um, yeah. And it would be silly to say we don't love Dave Filoni. Zach, Dave oh, yeah. Filoni promoted at Lucasfilm to chief creative officer. Um I know we have been following him closely for many years, you and I. Um, way back with his work on Avatar The Last Airbender show to then getting noticed by George Lucas, the Clone Wars TV show, Rebels TV show, um, being uh, used with Jon Favreau as a launching point for The Mandalorian and uh, Boba Fett and Ahsoka. Um, And this is a long time coming, I think, this promotion. Um, A lot of people, I would in the star Wars community, to my knowledge, view Dave Filoni as kind of the next guy who can take the mantle from George Lucas. Disney has been 
a bit um, up and down, uh, to say it lightly, since the acquisition about a decade ago. Um, but Dave Filoni and, and I guess John Favreau is part of that too. Um, they've kind of been the highs rather than the lows of the Disney Star Wars journey that currently exists. And, and what this promotion really does, from my understanding, is Dave Filoni, essentially, the, the studio executives, like Kathleen Kennedy, um, who's still in the, the head of Lucasfilm, who I know has a lot of controversy around her decisions, but Dave Filoni would just receive what they've decided and work on that on the back end after those decisions are made. Now, this doesn't remove him from working on projects, but now in this creative officer, chief creative officer role, he will actually help with the decision making on the front end of what projects to work on, what that would mean direction wise. Um, and I think that's a good move. I, I'm surprised it's taken this long, um, but yeah. I guess he hadn't really moved from animation to live action. So maybe that was part of it on Disney's side. Either way, I think this is a good PR move. And I think he would he's going to do well in this role. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and you know, again, for I know people have their criticisms of Dave Filoni, but full disclosure, this is a pro Filoni podcast. Um, yep. Definitely, Jared and I, we've been following Dave's career for a while. And he's one of those people that whenever he's gotten his name attached to something or a promotion of some kind, you I don't. I personally kind of celebrate. I I I I feel like you know when Dave's getting promoted, I'm getting promoted, even though like yeah. that's not the case at all. But I I'm really curious to see what this does for the Star Wars creative direction as a whole. I know that there's a lot of debate around Kathleen Kennedy and her handling of Star Wars. Uh, very valid criticism out there for sure. But in in regards to the creative aspect of Lucasfilm over the past couple of years, you can't deny the ball has been dropped so many times because we've heard about these projects being announced and then just canceled or mm -hmm. creative differences uh, or, or, or anything along those lines. Right. And I think for Lucasfilm to really continue to be a juggernaut in the, you know, IP space in the movie industry they need to get Star Wars fans excited about Star Wars again, right? Yes, you got to continue to seek new fans, absolutely. But there is something about honoring your fan base that has stuck with a franchise for a long time. And Dave Filoni, I I think he gets that. Like when you, when you see interviews, you see you see a man who yes, he's a, a talented creative you know artist, but he also is a fan of the franchise. And I think. Just in terms of continuity, I think Star Wars is going to improve a lot under uh, you know with this promotion. And the the one thing I'll, I'll say this about Dave Filoni: anytime you see him in an interview, he comes across as someone who is willing to learn, someone who is a collaborator. He's not he's not a, a you know a dictator in a creative room, and that's something I appreciate about him. And I think. He's you know making that transition from animation to live action. He's got a couple of opportunities with the Mandalorian um, and you know Ahsoka and things like that, and we'll see we'll see how you know that finishes up. But I I'm really happy for Dave Filoni. I think this is a well deserved promotion, and you know I know that he's he's 
well aware of you know the pressure and the 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 honor it is to you know get to handle an ip like star wars yeah i think you made a good point there about continuity you know since the rise of skywalker already four years old um there hasn't been any movies um and there's a reason for that one disney received a lot of backlash for the handling of that trilogy and um and they haven't really made a direction they said okay let's go in the tv space and they asked filoni and john favreau right to connect um these shows to the sequel trilogy on the back end of things and for continuity to take place i think you need to have a direction to go and that's been the main the main cry i think from from a lot of fans of of this ip is where are we going you know how does this all link up or not even with the skywalker timeline like you know post rise of skywalker are we going anywhere are we going back you know there's been old republic projects canceled like just tell us a path we're going on and that there's a plan laid out and i think if if his work on the clone war specifically is any indication segmented episodes but with a storyline throughout the middle of that whole show that dave filoni has a plan and when he can has time to create it and i think i think this is a good step and i think i'm okay waiting a few more years without a star wars movie i think if with this role i i think the next one's got to be right from disney i think disney knows that i feel like they they're very aware of the pressure that is now on them for whatever that next movie is going to be. And there is going to be a next movie. Some Star Wars fans might not like that. The reality is they paid $4 billion for this intellectual property. There's going to be more. Which they've made back. They've, they've made it back. Which they've made back. Yeah. But it's more of a reputation thing at this point, which I think is why it's taken this long for a movie to come out, why those projects that you mentioned have been canceled. And, you know, I think I think there's a, I'm okay waiting a few more years if they get it right. And so I yeah. I would love to at some point in my adult life come out of a Star Wars movie again that I saw for the first time and and just be like that was awesome, right? And like I I think I I totally agree with you that if they could Take the time, plan out a trilogy, plan out a legit trilogy. Because you know all the criticisms of the uh, the the sequel trilogy. I think the number one is that they did not have a plan. Um, that between the Force Awakens, the Last Jedi, and the Rise of Skywalker, like it it's a hot mess at best. <laughs> and yep. if they truly planned out an epic trilogy, and I would say Dave Filoni is one of the few people that I would trust with, with a star Wars trilogy being involved from like a, a story, you know, level, I w I would love it. And I think that they could really, you know, I think they could bank at the box office again. Um, you know, and, and if they could make, make it, make a movie that just, you know, the fans love. Right. Yeah. hundred percent. I'm not even focused on it. I, I just want to see one movie. 
Not even a trilogy. It's like, not even true. Just one, like one good movie. <laughs> yeah, because I think you know to and, and not to belabor this subject too long, but while the Force Awakens took a lot of a new hope and copy pasted it, there was still a lot of anticipation built for what the next movie was going to be, ignoring the faults yeah. of the first movie at that time. I think yeah. we just need a complete story you know, within yeah. it, that can be itself. Yeah. Just like the original trilogy, the, the prequels kind of were dependent on one another a little bit more, but definitely not as much as the sequel trilogy leaning into each other to try to hide the faults, which yeah. didn't work. But yeah, I totally agree with what you're saying there. Okay, next up on our coming soon announcement, I know this one Zach, you are extremely hyped for, as if the Star Wars one couldn't about? hype you enough. The yeah. Karate Kid multiverse is here. I didn't know if I'd ever say that in my life, but we're saying it. Jackie Chan and Ralph Macchio are, are moving together to reprise their individual characters from separate Karate Kid franchises to make a new Karate Kid movie. Now, Jackie Chan, you might remember, you're like, he wasn't Mr. Miyagi. You're right, he wasn't. He mentored Jaden Smith in, I believe, 2010 reboot of Karate Kid, which actually did fairly well. I think in part because there was a Justin Bieber song attached to it. Um, but, and then the original Karate Kid movies, obviously with Ralph Macchio being the Karate Kid and kind of, rising in fame again the past six seven years or so with uh this very successful show cobra kai which i believe is is ending shortly um Final so zach know, yeah. i'll leave the floor to you for this one what do you think about a new karate kid movie but also bringing jackie chan in from being the and being the same character in that franchise while Ralph Macchio kind of maintains this resurgence of his Karate Kid legacy. Okay, let me start with this. I love the the original Karate Kid movie. Karate Kid 2 and 3 and all the ones after that, it was like, okay, like, I guess they make sense. But I don't think that they're these phenomenal movies. But then when Cobra Kai came out, I felt Cobra Kai actually makes those movies better. Personally, uh, that that's just I I love the Cobra Kai series. I I'm really excited to see the final season when it comes out. I know it got delayed because of the strikes and things like that, but really excited to see where they finish that off. But when I saw this announcement, because I I always always felt that 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 the one outlier Karate Kid movie was the Jaden Smith and Jackie Chan movie that that was not part of the you know. Cobra Kai universe or any of the other Karate Kid movies. It was just sort of an outlier. So when I saw this announcement, I was like, okay, clearly they they must have some sort of creative angle to make this all work. I, I don't know if, if they're going to, you know, have that, you know, Mr. Mira Miyagi, you know, he was somehow uh, related or new. I hope trained with the you know jackie chan's character i i don't know I, I i don't know how they're gonna do that i'm really excited to see it i i i think you know it's it's 
the thing I, I like about this this franchise is the Karate Kid, though it is over the top, it takes a certain amount of suspended disbelief of like, okay, it's a karate soap opera, right? Yeah. That's essentially what it is, especially Cobra Kai. Yeah. But it's a very relatable movie franchise. Everyone has that bully or that someone that maybe doesn't fully see from their perspective and it kind of puts that wall up with them. And then on that flip side, that bully has a story that maybe you don't see why that person is seeing eye to eye with that person. And I think that's one of the reasons why the Karate Kid franchise is so relatable and and why it has done so well. So when the Karate Kid multiverse kind of came out, and, and we still don't technically know if it's not in the same universe, but it is a cinematic universe, which, you know, that's the world we live in today. Yep. I'm really curious to see what they do with it. I'm going to be one of the, like, when this movie comes out, like opening night, I'll, I'll be there. I will be there. And uh, yeah, the fact that both Jackie Chan and Ralph Macchio are involved, you know, sign me up. I'm ready to go. Yeah, December 13th, 2024, almost a year away so is when they plan on releasing the movie. I believe it's scheduled to start shooting early next year. And they're, and so, yeah, it'll be very interesting to see what happens. To be honest, I really hope they don't relate Jackie Chan to Mr. Miyagi. I think that would <laughs> that'd be a lot of, you know, palms. You just and, want them to be like friends or something? I don't know. I don't know. I just... That'd be the most franchise thing ever to do that. And I'm hoping for something. something? I know, I know. And uh yeah, I think I think part of the karate kid is its cheesiness, right? Mm -hmm. I think that's that's a key aspect actually to its success. Um and its relatability, to be honest. And yeah, also like just side note, I'm sorry I'm cutting you off. No, you're Um, good. The these movies are not super expensive to make, right? Like, like I think I think in today's world of hundred million dollar films, the Karate Kid isn't, and and the Cobra Kai series, they don't take CGI. Like, you, really, you just need your camera crew, your sound crew, you know, your lighting, your typical you know TV crew or, or movie crew, and then your actors. Really, like once they they have their script and they like their script they can film this movie pretty quick. And now that means it's still a lot to announce a movie and then just pretty much a year later, have it come out. That's a pretty quick turnaround time, but they must have a script that they were like, Oh, green light this now. Right. And they maybe took, took an eye at the movie landscape. There's going to be a bit of a lull coming because of the actors and writers strikes. And if they felt they can make this movie in a short amount of time on a, you know, what won't be a big budget for Hollywood level. Um, I I'm excited to see what they do. Yeah. I know uh, you will be anticipating that trailer um, probably even now and uh, we'll see how it goes. I hope it's a success. Well, and I'm right. like with the final, just one last thing when yeah. with the final season of Cobra Kai coming out, do they relate it to that somehow? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. There's maybe Daniel like falls through a portal and then maybe Jaden Lance... Smith appears. Jaden Smith in the last the, I don't episode know. of Cobra Kai. Yeah, we'll see. 
It is a bizarre decision to me, but I'm sure it will make money. I'm sure it will make money. Okay. Unless they have like karate and over the top emotions, I'm I'm here for it. Yeah, I hear you. All right. So that kind of concludes our overview of the latest uh, top storylines that we wanted to talk about. And like I said at the beginning of the show, each week we'll have a main topic that we want to dive into. What we'd like to call our feature presentation. Yeah, we came up with that ourselves. Um, (laughs) And I thought it would be good. And again, we're not going to be a franchise-heavy focused podcast. We like all movies. But the most recent movie at the time of this recording and uh, the most successful one right now happens to be the Hunger Games Ballad of uh, Snakes and Songbirds, I believe, is the title. It's quite a lengthy one. Um, Songbirds and Snakes, not Snakes and Songbirds. I apologize to all the people out there. <laughs> this is an interesting movie to me for several reasons. One, it's a sequel to, or rather a prequel, to a franchise that concluded like eight years ago yeah now it shouldn't work (laughs) like the success (laughs) of this movie shouldn't happen and i think that i have a few reasons for and we'll discuss this movie individually uh zach get your take on it um but just as a whole you know the 2010 to 2015 era of young adult dystopian content that's a weird phase to look back on (laughs) Um, (laughs) if you remember it didn't start with the hunger games but the hunger games was definitely the biggest success out of that yeah genre um the maze runner series the divergent series uh i am number four the host ender's Mm. game remember ender's game that's all in there um the Mortal Instruments, City of Bones, which didn't do well, so it became an Netflix show, I think. <laughs> I didn't really keep up with that one. There's a lot of young adult kind of dystopian, end of the world. Humans or kids are being trained or tortured or something, and they have to uprise against the government. It kind of goes, um, you know, around this time you know, 2010, 2011, the Harry Potter franchise is wrapping up, the Twilight franchise is wrapping up. So it was like, what is next? And I think personally, I have no evidence for this. Again, I am just a casual couch critic. But the rise in more postmodern thinking of individualism, of millennials, you know, taking um, control of their individuality, um, you know, a bit of anti-government, a lot of these themes, a lot of, um, you know, uh, female leads, which, again, is not a knock on them. It's, it is actually, I think it's a big breakthrough. Um, and they all, but they all kind of felt the same. Yeah. Like every one of these, not just the Hunger Games franchise, but all these dystopian teen movies and they kind of came and went, and I think that's kind of because Marvel hadn't quite 
it was building, but that's that's early Marvels, 2010, 2011. Yeah. And it wasn't peak MCU, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't peak MCU, it wasn't peak franchise, to be honest. Yeah. This was kind of the start of the franchise era mm-hmm. and in a lot of ways. And and the Hunger Games was definitely the most successful out of that. Four movies. Um and then along comes this prequel like eight years after and it's doing well and zach what what are your thoughts on kind of this this weird i don't think we've seen this before that i can think of yeah and 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 i think like there's a couple of factors that go into this uh number one i actually think it's a decent movie um i i saw it myself on a tuesday cheap night i went into it with pretty low expectations uh, for me, I enjoyed the Hunger Game movies, but for me, they they were one time watches. Like I, I, I wouldn't say like like the original Star Wars trilogy. I've seen countless times. I'm not gonna rewatch the original four Hunger Game movie. You know, like I've never once thought, hey, let's have a Hunger Game movie marathon, right? Like I'm sure some people have, but I have not. Uh, but going into this prequel movie definitely had the thought of like, okay, like I enjoyed the Hunger Games. I guess one of the interesting characters from it was President Snow. Sure, that could be an interesting story about how he, you know, rose to power. And it was, it's, you know, it's not a perfect movie by any means, but I I would say it's maybe a little longer than it needed to be, but I I enjoyed it. Uh, I, I think that, audiences are are looking for a movie that's just a good story and, and out of a lot of movies that we've gotten recently i i'd say that you know this ballad of snakes and songbirds is kind of the 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 movie that's probably has the most like it is a linear story like it's a point a to point b things that happen along the way narrative And it's easy to follow, but it's enjoyable to follow as well, as opposed to like a convoluted mess. Yeah, it's interesting. I think there's a few reasons why this movie in particular is successful and can be. And I hope Mm -hmm. studios don't necessarily replicate it because I'm going to describe my thoughts here as to why I think it was kind of made at the perfect time. And so... The book itself by Susan Collins, who made The Hunger Games, it came out during COVID and was kind of, you know, and I think part of that is like, you know, COVID we're still recovering from, you know, individually, but also as a movie industry, um, trying to return to whatever a new normal is. I think this was a bit of a nostalgia for a lot of people. I think the book was very successful. It came out during COVID. It had a virtual release. and and for people that was something you know like a bit of warmth for them during you know some tough times that all of us experienced it being greenlit and then creating this movie it's it's very surprising but i think you know in a post-covid world as we're trying to return to normal i think people might be going to the theater to see an old franchise that and yeah, I mean, eight years isn't that old in, in terms of time as a whole, but as a prequel to a series that's kind of 
out of public mind. Um, I think it was written and it got greenlit at a good time where, you know, the, we're still seeking movies. The movie industry as a whole is still recovering from COVID. I mean, we have a bunch of movie delays that are happening even now that um, are going to impact, in addition to the writers and, and actors strike, they're going to be pushed for years and years. It's going to take probably three or four years if uh, for all these movie schedules to be on track. But I think it came out at a good time for people, um, both the book and the movie. Now, I'm also surprised on its success a little bit because it's lead actors like Tom Blythe. This is his breakout role, essentially. He's yeah. had some supporting roles um, in some movies. He's good. But so it's, a, it's this actor that a lot of people haven't necessarily heard of. Rachel Zegler, the actress, you know, <laughs> she's very talented. And she's obviously caught Hollywood's eye because she's been in the West Side Story remake of Steven Spielberg. She was in a superhero movie, Shazam 2. Shazam 2. Yeah, which didn't do well, but I mean, she was a superhero movie is a big deal to be cast in. Yeah. Um, and she's going to be mo probably most notoriously the new Snow White in the whenever that comes out for Disney. And so she's going from franchise to franchise, from big film to big film. So obviously Hollywood sees something in her. Now her press relations has been what I, more what I'm referring to. A lot of people don't seem to necessarily kind of like how she presents herself. And I'm not going to judge that. But I'm surprised still at the success of the movie with two relatively unknown uh, or or publicly popular figures. And I think maybe that's why the cast of Peter Dinklage, uh, Jason Schwartzman, and Vi Viola Davis. Um, and good for good for the studios who this Francis Lawrence returned. He did Catching Fire and the two Mockingjay movies. And that's pretty common with franchises, except for Star Wars, <laughs> um, in terms of holding on to directors. Gary Ross, I think he did the first one and, and then he left. But having someone who knows that world, you know, returning to be able to direct. And, and Suzanne Collins, you know, the author, she she actually got her start writing in children's shows. So she knows how to adapt a screenplay. And I think that also lends to why it's potentially the most popular and most successful of the dystopian teen era franchises. I think all of that works for this movie. I don't know if we'll ever see something like it ever again. Um, but yeah, wow. Definitely unprecedented right now. Yeah, and, and, and I'll maybe just push back a little on, you know, you don't want this to become like a trend in Hollywood. And, and I think I'm okay with it as long as there's a good story there, right? As long as there is, you know, the... The narrative there, if it's just, you know, to cash in on a popular franchise, which I'll be honest, when I first heard about this movie, that's why I thought, oh, my God, that's just a cash yeah. grab. Right. Yeah. And, you know, and that's definitely been done before with with prequel movies totally. and, and things like that. Like, um, but I I think something about this movie that also is important to take account is it's coming out in a season where a lot of its competitions like like yep. the marvels is not doing well um trolls uh, is it called world tour no i forget what it's called the band or something i don't know the new trolls movie 
it's like it, it has a specific audience that would yep. be different than you know this this movie in particular so i i think that you know those external circumstances not having a lot of competition combined with it actually being a you know pretty like fun time like a good experience like i left the movie theater thinking about the movie i left it you know i called you right after i saw it and i was just like i'm still processing it um there's a lot to like about the movie you know there's criticisms as well again i still think that very long delay third act was could could have edited that a lot differently but i enjoyed it i i i i would go i i wouldn't go see this again alone but if my friend called me up and was like hey i'm gonna go see this movie do you want to come i would say yes yeah i i agree i agree with you i I think it came out at the perfect time, the absolute perfect time. Um, all the circumstances leading up to it, I think, like the stars aligned for this to be a success. And yeah. uh, do you know what's it at right now in the box office? So it's made 162 million, which okay. at, for first two weeks is pretty good. Now its budget was about 100 million. Um, okay, so it probably needs 300 mil to break even at least. Probably the thing is yeah. right now with box office is is it's hard to judge where the trend is going right now based on yeah. streaming numbers and and, and <laughs> cinema performance isn't necessarily as it used to be, you know. Yeah, so. and, and I actually think this movie could do quite well when it does go to digital, um, because it has yep. had some success in the box office, right? Yep, hundred percent. Uh, Zach, I'm curious, like you mentioned a bit, you weren't necessarily a big fan of like, you know, one time watch, but you'd watch it again if you had to, this franchise as a whole. Um, does the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, is that number one for you? Is that recency Ooh. bias? Like, is there, does that, it, that's a really good question. You know, as a prequel, is it good because it's a prequel or like in the franchise, like, a lot of people are saying, you know, this movie stands on its own two feet. Obviously, it's part yeah. of the greater universe, but I guess where would you put it now um, that we're revisiting this universe again? That's a really good question. I haven't thought about that till this moment. So essentially, if, if I'm ranking all five Hunger Game movies, I, I definitely, I, for me, Catching Fire Part 2 was is the lowest for me personally mock mocking j part two oh sorry sorry mocking yeah, yeah. yeah yeah mocking j part two then i would probably put catching fire mocking j part one at three two i you know what i'm not i out of the whole thing i i am going to say the original hunger games just because i'm really into world building and i thought the original the first movie did a pretty good job of world building this you know world I, I'm still keeping it at number one, the original first movie, but I, I'm comfortable putting this this you know ballad of snakes and songbirds here at number two in in this franchise for sure. Yeah, and again, that's that's pretty impressive, nonetheless, for me yeah, to be coming out eight years after yeah. the. You know, the, if anyone's the watching time. this, let us know your rankings in the comments below. I'd love to know if yeah, you agree or disagree. For sure. Um. Yeah, curious if this is officially the end, but 
I guess if the author keeps making good stories, like you said, perhaps there's more to explore here. I just don't want to like a fantastic beast situation, I think is more than I was referring <laughs> to before, you know, yeah, where, you know, the author was involved in creating stories, you know, J.K. Rowling and the movies didn't weren't working for numerous reasons, but the screenplay was also a reason. And so I think if the story's good, like you said, I'm okay with that trend continuing. Any last thoughts on on kind of the this movie in particular or the franchise as a whole? So we we know that studios when a movie is profitable, often they're like, okay, how can we keep making money off this? And you wonder you know, does the conversation happen of, hey, like, do you want to write more books or hire another author to write more books so that we could do a sequel trilogy or something to it, right? And I, I could see a story being there. I think that Pan Am is an interesting enough world that people would, would want to go back to it, check in, you know, how is, you know, Cadness doing, you know, and that... It, it would be interesting. It would be really interesting to see if they go back to it. I don't know if we see that in the near future, but it would not shock me, you know, if this movie, you know, is profitable and and there's, you know, especially if it has really solid streaming numbers. If a studio was like, hey, we get get us some more Hunger Games movies, you know, I, I can see that happen. Yeah, I think a sequel is an interesting discussion because – you know, Jennifer Lawrence's Hunger Games was obviously the platform that elevated her career into what it is today, being one of the most successful actresses in Hollywood. But she's also worked hard to distance herself from franchises, um, yeah. you know, obviously being part of X-Men 2. Um, so we'll, we'll see what, uh, what, where they go. Um, in your eyes, do you think they could do more with this the Snow character? Um, if they wanted a new prequel series with with this kind of new new cast, I I think that be it'd be a stretch. It would be a huge stretch. Not not that they can't do anything with it, but like, what are you gonna do? Are you gonna try? So like at the end of the movie, he rises to power at, as the game master, and like sorry spoiler alert <laughs> um but like what are you gonna do are you gonna have like his attempt like people who attempt to overthrow him and he like he takes the capital forces and just shows his power or something so i guess there could potentially be a story there but in, in my mind it would be a stretch just i i I think, you know what? I said this to my friend who also saw the movie. I said, I wish I would have seen this movie before seeing the Hunger Games. Hmm. And, and, and I've, 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 I've often thought that about even Star Wars. Like, I wish I would have seen, like, like, I know that's not the way it worked out, but like, I wish I would have seen the prequel trilogy that led into the original trilogy. And, you know, I would have loved to have that narrative because, like, even even in this movie, there's not a lot of stakes for the Snow character because, you know, he becomes, you know, President Snow. Yeah. And so, yeah, it, it would be interesting to me if, if this movie became, you know, if they did more movies that were in between 
you know, the first Hunger Game movie and and this one. Yeah, I. It's a good point, um, and I think that just goes back to what I was saying about if it's going to be done, do it right. I think the stars yeah. all aligned for this one, and happy that's doing successful, or being successful rather, and uh, that people are having a good time with it. It's always fun yeah. to revisit franchises that you kind of thought kind of we're done and something fresh kind of comes along to revitalize it. I know for talking for franchises like Rogue One was a big one, right? Yeah. Um, of recent, even even the the newer Star Trek movies and X-Men First Class, like there's just fresh, fresh bins on, on popular IPs that haven't been touched in a while. And um, yeah, this one, this one's uh, been pretty good. All right. Well, any final thoughts before we end the first couch podcast? Jared, this was a this was a blast. It, it, it is. It says we've been doing this for fifty two ish minutes, and wow, it did not feel like that. That flew by. That was a lot of fun. I hope people enjoy this. Uh, I know some of you there watching. Maybe you subscribe to my YouTube channel where I talk about the LA Rams. Thanks for coming on over, giving this podcast a chance. And uh, yeah, thanks everyone for watching. Feel free to like and subscribe and uh, let us know in the comments if there's a you know movie from your past or the future that you want us to talk about on the next episode. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, I, I completely concur. Um, and like like we said before, should be available on other podcasting where we, where you get your podcasts. And uh, yeah, thanks for uh, rolling with us for and being with us for the very first episode as we kind of fine tune things, what we want out of this. Um, it was a lot of fun and we'll see you uh, on the next episode. All right. See ya.